Hello. Uh, welcome to Grace and Grit, everyone. Uh, this podcast is about navigating postpartum and parenthood. And my goal is to talk to different parents about their experiences, their postpartum journeys, their parenthood journeys. And I have my first guest with me today, my friend Kaylee. Hello. Hello. Kaylee and I met on Bookstagram. I don't even know how many years ago. Quite a few. Quite a few years. I think pandemic times. And we're both moms now. And we have spent a lot of time just commiserating about our experiences and so here we are. We're ready to talk about navigating our postpartum experiences and hearing Kaylee's story. So first off, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for um, having me. I know that it's been a it's been hard to get us in this virtual room because of both of our struggles. <laughs> One or the other, one of us was having some, you know, crisis with kids, you know, our baby's not sleeping, our babies are sick. And it, like, it, it's, it's funny, it's kind of just like, perfect for what this podcast is about, right? Like, we want to yeah. talk about being moms. But being moms is what's keeping us from talking about being moms. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we we rescheduled what four i don't know i'm we're here though we made it we made it our babies are sleeping fingers crossed we are ready to talk about being moms all right so tell me about yourself so where are you in your postpartum journey so we are six months out as of last week um Baby girl is doing great, um, hitting all those milestones. So we just started Solid Foods, which is a whole other journey. (laughs) I am doing better than I was. Um, About two months in, I got kind of, I kind of want to say slammed with postpartum depression because I was fine and then I wasn't. And it was right about that that two-month mark that it all kind of hit me. Um, so I had already been in therapy and seeing a psychiatrist for ADHD and anxiety. Um, so I had a good support network in place, and I was able to kind of have a hard conversation and be like, something's not right. I shouldn't be crying as much as I am. Uh-huh. I shouldn't be, I'm an anxious person already, but this is a new level of anxiety uh, that I haven't hit before. Um, And so they were able to kind of help me uh, adjust the medication, um, which has been really helpful as I had to add a new medication in. um, And that was really the game changer for me. Big believer in in meds over here. Oh yeah, same here. Because while my psychologist is like, what you need is sleep, but I understand you just can't get that right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 
I mean, if I could get 12 hours of sleep every night, I probably wouldn't need the medication, but here we are. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyways, I am doing a lot better than I was. The medication's really, really helping. Good, good. So you talked about um, postpartum depression. Um, and you're still talking with your therapists and still taking medication. That's really good. Um, so the podcast is Grace and Grit. And, you know, for me, I think I struggle with giving myself grace. I struggle with, you know, giving myself a break just because society just makes us feel like we have to do it all. And, um, yep. But what what does the concept of grace mean to you in the con- context of motherhood in your experience? I think a lot of it is trying to be nicer to myself. And I was talking to my therapist about this because I am a perfectionist. I always have been. There is not a perfect way to be a mother. Mm-mm. It is a fruitless endeavor. So trying to be nicer to myself about, you know, maybe I didn't do everything 100% today. Maybe I only did it, you know, 50%, but that was the best I could do. That's okay. Um, And that's hard. It's hard for me. But I think I'm getting better at it. At least I'm trying. I'm making an effort to be a lot nicer to myself um, because you, doing the best you can is all you can do. Yeah, that's true. And and what you say about the percentages, I that's kind of my philosophy too, you know. Um, okay, I only gave 50% today, but you know what? That 50% was my 100%. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. that reframing, reframing that mindset to know that you are doing your best, even when you feel like you're at your worst. Um, exactly. It's it's so important to practice that self-compassion in those moments. I wanted to pivot because I know when we were getting ready for our interview, there were some topics we wanted to touch on, um, women's health and how women are underrepresented when it comes to, you know, basic science, clinical trials, publications, um, medical professionals really paying attention to and understanding women's health and reacting to it and responding to it in the correct way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that you had some experiences, um, you know, in your prenatal and delivery. Um, So I would love to talk about that with you. Um, Yeah. Um, Well, I'll say the second I found out that I was pregnant, um, I immediately called lots of doctors. Um, And that was because I was on Adderall. Um, and the one thing that they tell you is, oh, you're not supposed to take this, but I wanted an actual doctor and not just the internet to Mm -hmm. tell me. Um, 
So I, uh, I called my gynecologist. I called the fertility doctor I saw one time before, and I was actually already pregnant and just too soon to test and didn't know it. <laughs> so she didn't do much for me, but, um, I called my general practitioner. Um, and I called the OB, all of whom tried to refer me to someone else. Oh, well, my OB was like, well, we don't really do that. You should talk to your psychiatrist. I didn't have a psychiatrist. Um, so I called my general practitioner, and that was who normally gave me the medicine. Um, and he told me, uh, you need to stop taking this immediately. And I said, well, what about withdrawal? And he was like, no, no, stop taking it immediately. It doesn't matter. I was like, that feels like a bad idea. I'm, you know, I think I was four to six weeks pregnant. And you want me to go through withdrawal of my medication? Like, that doesn't seem like a good idea for me or the baby. Yeah. So I hung up and I've not gone back to that doctor since because he clearly didn't care about how this is going to impact me at all. Um, I got an emergency appointment with a psychiatrist who specializes in postpartum, um, well, prenatal and postpartum uh, women's health. And her, the appointment I had with her, she scheduled me for two days in a row so I could read some literature she gave me. Um, she was like, you know what, we're going to do whatever you want to do. This is your body. It's your baby. I'm going to give you all the information I can and you can make a choice. And that's what we'll do. If you want to stay on your medication, that's fine. If you want to get off it, that's fine. If you want to try something new, that's fine. We're going to do it. I was like, okay. So she sent me a bunch of literature. And that's when I discovered that. What did she give you exactly then? Um, so she gave me, uh, it's, it's a literature review, essentially, that talks about all the different studies um, that people have done. And the main studies that all these doctors are recommending treatment based off of was based on people who were heavy cocaine users and also happened to be pregnant. They were also drinking um, and using other drugs. Her point being, and she wanted me to see it on my own, was... Maybe there could have been some other things that were leading to birth defects because, you know, cocaine, it's not exactly regulated. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it, my baby came out just fine. Um, I did lower my dosage, which is my choice, um, mm -hmm. out of an abundance of caution because really the only thing was low birth weight. Um, now, she was three weeks early. Her birth weight, she would have been a chonk if she had <laughs> stayed in there remaining three weeks. I remember so, you telling me that. She came out just almost seven pounds um, three weeks that's, early. So That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, so I had reduced my dosage the first trimester. And then the second, tri the second and third trimester, um, I bumped it up a little bit. Still below what I normally took um but I mean 
And when I talked to my psychiatrist, her one of her biggest points was you have to be very careful driving because you're more likely to get into a car accident if you're not taking your medication because you're distracted. Maybe. I guess I can't wrap my head around. You went to a professional who gave you this research to make a very important decision, decision that like was weighing heavy on you. You talked to a doctor, a male doctor who told you to stop taking immediately. Who cares what happens to you? You went Mm -hmm. to some, you know, someone who specializes that she, she gave you research and, and it didn't even really mention Adderall, you, you, you said that it, there's no studies on um, it. So, Yes. So there's no studies on it. And I should mention, I do have a background in medical microbiology. Um, so there's no studies on it because there's no ethical way to conduct a study. You'd have to find people like me who are going to stay on their medication no matter what and put them in a group. And so you kind of have to be lucky almost to do it um, because, you know, ethically you're manipulating what would happen to an unborn child. Right. Um, So there's no studies based on it. And what they had was a group of essentially drug users. Um, We're just supposed to make a decision based on their. Based on that. But no doctors actually tell you that. They just tell you, no, you can't do it. Like, this might happen. Without telling you, well, that could have happened because of a lot of other reasons. Right. You know, um, being on a prescribed dose of Adderall, (laughs) despite what lots of people tell you, is not the same as being on cocaine if you actually have ADHD. For one, it's regulated. (laughs) Um, You know, there's, there's that whole thing. So... But it blew my mind that no one even thought to tell me this. And she had booked a follow-up appointment the next day so we could talk it out. Um, So it wasn't just like, hey, read this stuff. Um, And she knew I had the background to be able to read the scientific studies and understand what they meant. Um, But I appreciated that because I like to know things. I like to know... If you're going to tell me not to do something, tell me why. Mm-hmm. And just saying, oh, no, you can't do this. Like, it's bad for the baby. Well, it's going to be really bad for me. And <laughs> we were kind of a package deal. So. Yeah, it's, it's, always, it, it's always what, you know, that male doctor that said, you know, stop immediately. And, and you were right to say, well, what about me? Mm-hmm. What about withdrawal? Like, that's. That affects you, but you know, I I feel like there's just so much of a focus on the baby and less on the mother. Yes, and we're just expected to just suffer suffer through it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's just it it honestly, I have no regrets about not seeing that doctor anymore because, of course. It was it was very much like if you keep doing this, you don't care about your child. Um, and that's far from the reason. Um, but I also care about myself. And yeah. 
at the time, without me, there was no her. So, like I said, very much a package deal, and no one really seemed to get that. Um, And interestingly, every other doctor I asked was a woman, and they, none of them told me to stop taking it. They all just wanted me to talk to someone else who had more expertise in the area. Um, Even my OBGYN, and she isn't anymore, but only because she's stopped. I think she's getting ready to retire. So she wasn't taking um, any pregnant patients anymore. Um, She actually took the time to research things and call me, (laughs) call me back and like, just to give me information. and of course, the male doctor was just like, no, don't take it. Go through withdrawal. Oh, interesting. And I, you know, I have a male OB. Um, I prefer the men in my office than the women OBs. Um, I've just had a different experience with mine. And I'm, not, you know, not the, not the same thing as Adderall, but, you know, I'm on uh, Zoloft for depression. And, you know, there was no hesitation when I talked with him about um, going up a dose a little bit and, you know, just it's my decision. He had all, you know, all the right answers and everything. Um, it's just, you know, he's, you know, what he said to me was, you're just as important as the baby and you you need to be well. You know, like the risk is so low that, you know, you have to think about the risk is so low of any, you know, defects or anything with the medication I'm on. Um, You all, you know, kind of have to prioritize yourself a bit, but then you kind of feel like. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was kind of the thing. It was such a hard decision for me. Um, I mean, I agonized over this and that's what I think you don't necessarily see is like you know it feels like a selfish decision but it wasn't um if it if there had been a serious risk of anything I would have stopped Mm -hmm. um but after discussing it the only serious risk was to me um you know of car accidents of losing my job of honestly losing my sanity because yeah my brain is a very chaotic place. Um, and Mine that too. was what seemed to be the biggest deal, you know. Um, so in the end, I think I made the right decision, but it it was a lot. Yeah. yeah. To get there. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that you also had some um, tough experiences during your labor, your delivery. Oh, yes. Um, And, you know, if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Um, So my girl came three weeks early because I had to be induced due to preeclampsia and I was kind of flirting with preeclampsia for about two weeks. Um, And then it got to the point where they sent me to the high-risk doctor and they were like, no, no. The high-risk doctor was like, it's not trending downwards. 
we it's go time let's do it and I was like all right um so and you're not prepared you know like it's no. three weeks before your due date you're I was yeah. still like planning on meal prepping you know yeah I hadn't, I hadn't even gotten to the part in the book where it's like what you do with the baby after <laughs> you were we still all yeah. those classes oh my gosh um, so she literally sent me to the hospital from her office. She's like, I called them and told them you're coming. It's like, okay, we're doing this. You mean right now? <laughs> All right. Like nothing's packed, you know. Well, due to my heavy anxiety, everything was packed and in the That's car. That's amazing. Okay. Um, okay. But we, we did stop at McDonald's on the way because I was afraid they weren't going to let me eat. Oh, McDonald's. So, yep. Oh, good for you. Um. Yeah, luckily, even my mom was up because uh, she was she was worried that they were going to induce me because um, I'd been having so many problems with my blood pressure. So, uh, yeah, we get to the hospital, um, do the whole induction thing. Um, very uncomfortable. Do not recommend. Are you comfortable talking about that? Um, yeah. Um, I don't remember the names don't... of medications, but sure. Okay. Um, I can fill those in. Essentially, uh, they think of it like, you know, like one of those old school tampon applicators that's made out of cardboard and very uncomfortable. That you would get at like school and then put a quarter in and get it because you still had to pay for it despite, you know. Yes. Yeah. Those. Um, it's like that, but worse. Okay. Very uncomfortable. Um, and they pretty much shove it up there. Mm-hmm. They, this is the, at least my doctor told me they usually do that one at night. Um, cause it slowly releases medication cause I was not ready, um, yeah. at all. So, it slowly releases the medication that kind of gets things going. Um, so they do that one overnight and then see how you're doing in the morning. I think it's after 12 hours. Um, they check you. Also uncomfortable. Do not recommend. Um, and I got these little shots. It's basically the exact same medication. Um, and when I say shots, I mean drinkable shots, not actual medical shots. Um, it tastes like water. And you take those every two hours, um, pretty much until it's either go time or it's time for Pitocin. Um, I did not make it to Pitocin. Um, and this is embarrassing. But uh, yeah, I got to three centimeters dilated. So I got to three centimeters dilated. Um, The doctor did the check and was like, all right, you're at three centimeters. Um, You know, we'll probably have the baby around like four in the morning. And it was 930 maybe at night. Still Um, had some time to go there. Had some time to kill. (laughs) And here's where it gets embarrassing. Um, I was like, okay. I really have to poop. Yeah. So I already had the epidural, so I couldn't get up. <laughs> um, just and poop. so I had to call the nurse, and they like gave me a bucket and everything. 
and I'm like trying to poop in front of all these people, which is really embarrassing. And uh, it turns out I'm having my baby. Um, I you did not have to poop. <laughs> it wasn't like a McDonald's. No, it was not. <laughs> it was not. Um, and she's like, have you done anything? And I'm like, no. Um, it wasn't like, poop. I don't know. It wasn't poop. It was the baby. Um, so, but here's why. No one expected it. Um, I went from three centimeters to fully dilated in half an hour. Oh my gosh. Um, and I had tried to tell them that this was a possibility. Um, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, which means I, my joints are kind of like limp noodles. Um, but connective tissue is everywhere. And so one thing that can happen that I had read about is very quick labor, like getting to active labor can be very fast. Um, They had to run and get a doctor once we discovered I was not, in fact, pooping, but um, trying to push out my child. (laughs) Yeah, because they were thinking, what, seven hours? Yeah, uh, 30 minutes. Um, Wow. And uh, she actually went into shock um we both did um i almost had an emergency c-section because the uh the two of us both went into shock because she dropped into the birth i mean she like did like a free fall into the birth canal um because i dilated so fast um now when all of this is happening no one is listening to you as you tried to tell them that you read a study that this couldn't happen (laughs) You know, um, they're, they're too busy trying to, you know, help you birth your child. Um, though by the time I left, I'm pretty sure everyone in the maternity ward knew all about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, so it was, uh, it was a little bit traumatizing. Um, they had to put me on oxygen. Um, they had me try to maneuver to get the baby to stabilize um which is very difficult to do when you have an epidural uh since you can't move your legs um to get on all fours it's not a good time um but uh we did both stabilize so it was fine um i did give birth naturally but the cord was wrapped around her neck from when she fell or i fell but when she dropped into the birth canal Um, so they were able to get that, but she did need the CPAP machine for 30 seconds, um, when she came out, um, which was the longest 30 seconds of my life. Cause yeah. you know, she wasn't crying or anything when she came out. Um, so it was terrifying. Um, but, uh, it did work out okay in the end. Um, but it was very scary when it happened. Uh, and I can confirm that it was the first time uh, my doctor had ever had someone pull out their asthma inhaler in the middle of labor, <laughs> which turned out to be helpful. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows this, but um, asthma inhalers can induce contractions. I did um, not. Yes, I learned that the hard way when I accidentally 
I needed my inhaler for actual asthma and induced myself into contractions um, the night before labor for eight hours. Um, good times. And uh, yeah, it was, it was thrilling. That's um, important yeah. to know. Yeah, so they uh, it can induce contractions, uh, one of the medications. Um, but yeah, it was the doctor's first time having my husband had to like reach in my purse, hand me my inhaler because like I couldn't breathe. <laughs> Like do a quick asthma puff, continue on with labor. Just a quick hit. Um, and so, did were your doctors aware that you had EDS? Like, did you talk to them before? Like, yes. Prepare them for this. So I prepared them as best as I could, um, considering that it is a rare condition. While more research is being done, it's not very well known. Um, it's well known as like a textbook. This is a weird thing people have. Um, right. So whenever I go to any doctor and they find out I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, they're always like, oh, that's cool. In like a medical way. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it was something I had told my OB. Um, but that's not who actually delivered my baby, you know. Um, but I would hope it's in your chart or something. It, it right? was in my chart. He okay. did know. Um, but this is one of those, the quick labor was something that even I wasn't fully prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd actually meant to print out a whole thing that could talk about it and hand it to my doctor. But because she was three weeks early, uh, we didn't quite get it. They actually are doing more studies. Um, I learned this through uh, the Ehlers, one of the Ehlers Domos associations. Um, they're doing more research on it um, and on the effects of pregnancy on Ehlers Domos because it can really, it, it really kind of changes how pregnancy affects you. Um, for instance, I have a lot of joint pain, um, I have a lot of dislocations. Um, and subluxations where it comes out partially. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean I'm doing something cool like rock climbing. I mean, I'm sleeping and I dislocate my shoulder. And this happens all the time. I just wake up, put it back in because wow. I just do it myself at this point um, and get on with my day. So when I was pregnant, you know, your joints loosen up and I expected to just the relaxants. Yeah. I expected to be a noodle. It was the best I'd ever felt, actually. Wow. It was wild. I felt awesome. Um I mean, I still had all the pregnancy symptoms that make you feel not awesome, but on the EDS side, I felt amazing. Um and that was a bit unexpected. Um because <laughs> it could go either way according to what research there is um but what i you know what i saw it it, it heightens pregnancy complications mm-hmm. i did some research on it you know from heartburn to vertigo to headaches to yep. girdle pain balance and then mental health yes. as well and i did have a lot of hip pain um but i think a lot of that was from 
how just like the weight sat on me. Um, mm. I think that was probably the biggest thing is gaining so much weight was really, really hard on my joints. Um, and that's something I'm still dealing with as I'm trying to lose, you know, the pregnancy weight. Um, and I've lost a lot of it, but it's really, really hard on my knees. Um, cause I gained about 60 pounds. Um, I have now lost about 40, but it's, uh, I mean, it was painful. I think yeah. the first few months, just like even walking, um, was hard on me. Postpartum, so, you mean? Postpartum, or... yes, okay. postpartum. Um, so I talked to my joint guy about that. Your joint guy. Oh, yeah, I got a guy. You got a guy <laughs> for everything. Doctors. Yeah. And, and so for EDS, there's no treatment for it, right? Or, or... Nope. There, um, there's no treatment, and there's not even – so there are, I believe, 13 different kinds of EDS. I have hypermobile um, or HEDS, and it's the only one where there has not been a genetic mutation linked to it yet. Um, so they don't actually know which one is caused. Now, there are a couple papers that are coming out um, with some studies, and they may have isolated a couple um, that can cause it. So I'm interested to see which ones they are. Um, one of them, which is more, it, it, the full paper hasn't been released, um, but kind of a preview, like this is what we're working on paper was. Um, and I checked and I do have that mutation. So, which would be interesting to see. Um, I won't get too much into the science of it, but uh, it is, it could have an easy, I don't want to say fix, but there could be a possible treatment that would be very, like, over the counter easy wow. to fix. Okay. Um, okay. So, we'll see what happens when the actual studies are released. Um, but yeah, as of right now, there's no treatment other than treating symptoms. Um, and even that isn't, there's not a lot you can do. Like Tylenol right. isn't going to fix it. And I'm just going through my notes here of what I could find. Um, I think, you know, the most, you know, ednews.com. I don't know if you sent me that link, but, you know, the labor issues, um, the pre-labor spontaneous rupture of membranes, poor response to the epidural. Um, mm -hmm. Thank God that didn't, <laughs> that didn't yeah. happen for you. Anesthesia, uh, um, significant drop in blood pressure, baby position. Uh, post that happened. The significant drop in blood pressure. That happened. Um, Postpartum hemorrhage is, is heightened, tearing, and then rapid labor. Or, yeah. Um, um, active labor, yeah. And I did, because my doctor knew that I had Ehlers-Danlos, that can actually affect um, how they decide to stitch you back up. Um, so to minimize tearing, um, I did have a tear. I had a stage two tear. Um, so they did have to stitch me back up. And I was, he knew at that point, like, I was like, I have Ehlers-Danlos. I don't know if you remember, but I have Ehlers-Danlos. 
Uh, and so he had to be very careful with the stitching because um, one of the things that can happen with EDS is a uh, poor wound healing. Um, I haven't had too much of that based on my surgeries um, that I've had, um, but I did, uh, he was extra careful. So that was helpful, um, but it is genetic. Um, and my mom has it too. And the epidural didn't work all the way on her. Um, it only worked on half her body. So. And when you think about when our, our moms were having babies, you know, there was just even less. Yes. Yeah. Attention and care. And, you know, my mom had no idea she had it. She didn't know until I found out I had it. So. Wow. Okay. And that was when I was. 26. Um, it took me 12 years to get a diagnosis. Um, like from first symptoms to actually figuring out what was wrong. It was about 12 years. Um, so it was after that that my mom found out she had it. So she was in her 50s. Well, again, thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I wanted to go back to mental health. I'm going through my notes here. We've talked about how women have been excluded in healthcare research. You know, when you think about how I read something that the FDA excluded women of childbearing potential from clinical trials from 1977 through 1993. Oh my God. Um, so Congress passed the National Institutes of Health Revitalization Act of 1993, which required women and minorities to be included in all NIH-funded research. Um, That's insane. So when you think about heart issues, you know, things like that, a lot of the research is just looking at men and, and like, so, so it's not even like, you know, and this, and this even extended to mice too, I read. To like mice? Even, yes. So like when they were testing mice, they also excluded female mice from their trials. Seriously. Did they not want to jeopardize female bearing women and female <laughs> mice? I I don't understand that. How? What? Yeah. So you know, it, it's just this this lack of representation. It, it's just it's put women at greater risk of adverse events and. It's it's just insane to me that you know there are still some cases where it's it, we're just not represented in that and 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 that's just basic health. Let's not even get into. I mean, let's get into <laughs> like prenatal and and postpartum health and oh oh please let's. <laughs> I know were, you know. There were so many times when I asked them about a symptom I was having 
or you know something like that and they were like well we don't really know why this happens but it's normal like how do you know it's normal if you have no idea what causes it and they don't know what causes it because there's no research done because it's women yeah i mean and let's just talk about the word and let's just talk about the word normal because for me I'm taught, and this is, you know, I've had the same experience. I'm sure many women listening have had the same experience. You're you're telling somebody something that's bothering you, that's really impacting you physically, mentally, emotionally, and then you're being told that that's normal. Yep. Like, what kind of effect does that have on you? Like, it's you're almost like silenced. You're almost like this is what it is. Like, there's no, yeah. Suffer you know, through it. Suffer through it. Like I have really bad sciatica and, um, right now I'm, I'm seven months pregnant and, um, my OB is like, it'll go away when the baby comes. <laughs> Helpful. Thank Some you. physical therapy may help, you know, but there's really nothing you can do. Um, it's it's just yeah we're just expected you know this is all normal the weirdest yeah. things you know you go in the what to expect app and you know carpal tunnel it just yeah. happens it just happens that's like my wrists totally are normal. starting to hurt it's just it's interesting i don't yeah i mean even like with preeclampsia i don't think there's a ton of research done on necessarily why it happens and I was in and out of labor and delivery, I think, four times for preeclampsia before they finally decided to induce. And the doctors at the hospital still didn't want to induce. I had to go see a high-risk doctor, and she made them. Um, Did they say why they didn't want to do it? No. Um they kept doing blood work they kept you know you gotta pee in the cup and it would come back and it within normal range now with preeclampsia they check for protein in the urine well normally there should be none um (laughs) that's a very bad sign um so i had i think 2.5 but the lab cutoff was three and they were like, well, that's normal. I was like, that's not normal. Oh my normal. Gosh. Normal should be zero. Like, you know what this means. Um, but because I technically was an atypical presenter for preeclampsia, they didn't want to do anything. Um, you know, it's like, I could die. You know that, right? Like, I could die. Um, and honestly, the day that they induced me, because I, you know, they're like, well, your swelling is normal for like your ankle and stuff. Like, this isn't bad. Um, the day I went to the high risk doctor to get checked out, I mean, my feet were swollen like balloons. I mean, out of nowhere. Um, like from the time that we got there to the time I saw the doctor, it was maybe about an hour and they went from normal looking feet to like puffy balloon animals um but you know it's normal it's fine 
thank God for that high risk doctor who was like, nope. Yeah. It's not going to get better. Like, so yeah, I got to send her a Christmas card or something. Something, a little fruit basket. Yeah. Um, but again, a female doctor. Again. I say, a female doctor. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, you. Most of the doctors who actually, for lack of a better word, gave a damn and listened to me were female. Um, at least when it came to any of my pregnancy stuff. But it's wild. Yeah. Much. I'm on this app. It's called Peanut. Um, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's great. Um, it was very helpful when I was pregnant. And they group you with people who are close to you geographically, but also by your due date. So I was in the June 2023 moms group. Nice. Um, and I can't tell you how many women posted in the group after having their babies like does anyone else feel like this why do i feel like this i love my baby but i can't stop crying yep. and i commented on every post i saw and it's like you need to talk to someone yeah that's not normal you don't have to feel this way this sounds like postpartum depression or this sounds like postpartum anxiety. Um, talk to someone about it. Talk to your pediatrician, talk to your OB, get a referral. Um, because it's so serious and people just don't know. They assume it's the baby blues. They chalk it up to that and that's that. We need to stop calling it baby blues. I hate that term. I hate it so much. It Again, it's the same thing as telling a pregnant woman that, you know, when she steps and she feels the sciatic nerve go up through her neck, that that's normal and it'll go away. You know, the same thing with the baby blues. Like, oh, baby blues. Like, it, it's... It, the biggest it, hormonal change that happens... <laughs> in a person's yeah. body <laughs> the biggest and fastest it's not baby blues it's a gigantic hormone adjustment you know i mean and i knew something was wrong because i'm already anxious <laughs> you know i am i know that about myself i've been on medication for it for a long time so I kind of knew that this was a possibility. Um, yeah. However, I wasn't expecting it to present the way it did. Um, the irritability and honestly, like the anger that can happen with PPD. I was expecting a lot more crying and they make it sound like it's only like, oh, you're not bonding with your child. Um, like you don't want to take care of the baby. And that's not how it presented for me. All I wanted to do was take care of my baby to the point where I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, and that became a problem. Like you don't shower for a week. That's not a good, not a good sign. Um, and I would get so 
irritated with literally everyone around me except my baby. So again, almost an atypical presentation. Um, But, you know, they don't tell you that stuff. You just expect to be really sad. You know, depression's like, because that's what people think of. Oh, I'm sad. Um, And you might be, and you might be crying, but you also might have bouts of rage and irritability um, and serious anxiety. And that just isn't talked about enough in prenatal care, in my opinion. No, and I think, too, you know, new mothers are also afraid of sharing these things um, Mm -hmm. and being seen as an unfit parent. Um, or, you know, talking about PPD and how some mothers, you know, may feel like they want to harm their baby, harm themselves. They don't want to have their baby taken away from them if they share that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that just makes everything worse because it makes it almost secretive. So no one's getting help at that point, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great to to talk about this and and just kind of have, you know, listening ears on both ends and just to hear your story and I really appreciate it. It's it's, it's hard to share, I'm sure, but it's important to share. Um, yeah. It's it's important to talk about it. Um, you know, I, I always think that if even like one person it helps out, then that's worth it. You know. Yeah. Thank you for being so willing. So, as I wrap this up, couple more questions. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to new moms who might be struggling? in early postpartum um therapy is your friend (laughs) you can get a therapist that has been one of the biggest things for me Um, I didn't realize how much I needed it until I started therapy when I was pregnant um on the advice of my psychiatrist and it really really has helped even just to have someone to talk with you know my therapist has a daughter as well and it's you know she's giving me advice on like products yeah uh you know even like silly stuff like that um it has been just very helpful for me um just having that outlet to talk about you know about like the depression about you know being pooped on at three in the morning it's nice to have that outlet from someone who doesn't judge you um and have that nice like safe space so I think that would be my biggest piece of advice therapy yeah and to end on a good note what is a recent win as a mom like what what can you think of a most recent win and how did you celebrate it so the most recent win, um, normally my daughter 
takes forever to fall asleep. Um, and she's a good sleeper once she gets there, but I've never been able to get her to like self-soothe herself to sleep. Um, she falls asleep in my arms and then I have to transfer her over. The other night, I got her to self-soothe. I put her down drowsy and she actually went to sleep. And yeah, it was girl. the best. <laughs> I was so what'd, thrilled. What'd you do um, afterwards? Did you? I went downstairs and watched a yep. show with my husband. Ooh. I know. Thrilling stuff over here. But, very uh, thrilling. It was very exciting um, because she'd never been able to do that. And it was like a, it was like, I'm trying something. Let's see if this works. Um, and it actually did. So. Love it. That and her only waking up once now in the night, oh, game changer. It's so nice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, Kaylee, my friend, thank you for joining me. Thank my you first so much episode. for having me. I'm very We've... excited to be your first guest. I am so happy we got to do this. And I look forward to continuing to talk pretty much every day yes and follow along of follow along with your life and your girl's life and just continue this journey with you yeah well thank you so much thank you (laughs) thank you so much for joining me on grace and grit navigating postpartum and parenthood you can follow me on instagram at Grace and Grit underscore podcast. You can also check out my book blog at Keep It Casual or www.keepitcasual.com. See you next time.